0: Well, good morning again. It's a a great privilege to be able to stand before you today and to be able to preach while Brian is out of town. So uh, today we'll be continuing with our uh, Summer psalm series and today I'll be preaching uh, from Psalm 63. Um, So one of the great things about the Summer psalm series is it's wonderful for substitute preachers like me because we can have a lot of flexibility in the text that we get to choose. And um, so when Brian asked me what particular psalm I wanted to preach on, um, it was a relatively easy decision for me uh, because Psalm 63 for a long time has been one of my favorite psalms uh, for reasons that I'll explain a little bit later. And indeed, I was kind of puzzled as to why he hadn't already chosen from it just because it has um, always been one of my favorite psalms. Um, however, I'll, I'll just mention that despite the fact that I've you know been enamored with a psalm for so long, um, one of the benefits of, preach, of, of preparing the sermon was that I actually learned a great deal more about the psalm, a psalm that I, I learned, um, that I thought I knew very well. So today I'm excited to uh, be able to tell you a little bit more about the psalm. Um, so as we dive into the Word, um, I encourage you to, read, to follow along uh, in your Bibles or um, whatever apps you might use. Um, so as you find Psalm 63, um, and before I start reading, um, I just thought I'd provide some background about the psalm itself. So historically, it has always been a very popular and well-loved psalm. Uh, John Chrysostom, who uh, was an important early church elder, wrote this about about the psalm. Uh, He wrote, it was decreed and ordained that no day should pass without the public singing of the psalm. Um, So consequently, when the ancient church um, who sang psalms, um, when they sang them each Sunday, they would always begin with this psalm. Um, So it is sometimes called the morning hymn, Um, just Giving you an indication of its popularity. Um, so now, um, this is Hear the Word of God. It's a Psalm 63. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. There shall be given over to the power of the sword. There shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars shall be stopped. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful psalm written so long ago. We thank you for the way that it has ministered to your people for centuries. We thank you for the way that it conveys David's confidence uh, in your providence. And we ask now that you'll open our hearts and our minds to these words, that even if they are familiar, that they will still invoke new insights and understanding of your glory. And I pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. All right, so the, the title of the psalm indicates that it was written by David, like a lot of many other psalms, but it was written during a particular time in his life And the the title indicates that this happened when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So there are only two times in his life when this could refer to. The first is when early in his life, before he was king, when he was running away uh, from Saul, who had branded him as an outlaw. And the other possibility is much later in his life when he actually was a king, but when he was fleeing from a, a revolt that had been instituted by his son, Absalom. And actually, if we look at uh, verse 11, uh, commentators have suggested that it might actually be this later time in his life um, because there he refers to himself as the king, which is a title he obviously didn't have when he was running away from from Saul. But regardless of which particular wilderness period this is for David, it was still obviously a time of great stress and turmoil for him. If it did happen, as the text would, would suggest during Absalom's revolt, then his life and those of others were in great, great danger. Um, After he fled Jerusalem uh, from his son, David and his men were initially outnumbered and at a great tactical and military disadvantage before he had time to gather his troops together. Um, And further, he was also, you know, no doubt in great turmoil uh, because of this betrayal that he had just suffered. Um, that it reduced him from being a king, and a powerful king, to being an outdoor again. And probably even worse, this betrayal was at the hands of his his son, Absalom. So, um, you know, he was obviously, um, could be expected to be distraught. Um, But if we look at this psalm closely, it is useful to note that it contains no petitions. Here, David isn't asking God for anything. Um, I'm sure that if I was under these circumstances, or even when I'm under circumstances that are much more comfortable than what David is going through, I'll be frantically begging God for help. And certainly David does ask for the Lord's help in other Psalms, um, some of which actually reflect uh, the language that we see in Psalm 63. So for example, in Psalm 61, he asks, let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. And much later uh, in Psalm 143, he says, I stretch out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. And later in that psalm he says, deliver me from my enemies, O Lord, for your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. But in this particular psalm, David isn't doing any of this. Instead, he's expressing his confidence in God's ability to provide for him and to protect him. So if there's one thing you remember uh, from today's sermon, um, it's this take-home message that this is a psalm of confidence in God's provision. And when we go through these verses, hopefully we'll get a sense of how David is able to achieve this. And to do this, I've broken up the text into into three sections. So first, we'll get a sense of David's incredible longing for God. Then we'll explore how David obtains satisfaction from God. And finally, we'll look at how he Uh, anticipates eventual triumph and vindication through his Lord. So let's look at the first one, um, how we get a sense of David's longing for God. So verse one is what I I think is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. It's this beautiful expression of David's desire for his God. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So, in his current situation when he was writing this psalm, in the wilderness of Judah, which is one of the most barren places on earth, David was no doubt influenced by his thirst and used this to reflect on his absolute need for Christ. Now we've been through uh, a couple of hot and uh, dry weeks here in Kansas, um, but we can still take refuge in air-conditioned buildings uh, where there's, where we take for granted our access to plenty of cool water. Um, so. Um, You know, sometimes it's hard for us to uh, imagine what David was going through. Um, As many of of you might know, I grew up in Zimbabwe, um, so it's a country in southern Africa. Zimbabwe has a decently temperate climate, but it is prone to periods of drought, and usually these aren't too bad, Um, but when I was about 13 or 14, we experienced a number of years, about three or four, maybe even five years. Of very limited rainfall. So, a land that was usually green and lush uh, took on very tired and depressing colors of brown and gray as all the vegetari- vegetation just dried and shriveled up. Um, this lack of rain meant that the crops failed for many years, uh, livestock died, and a place that was once considered the breadbasket of Africa experienced food shortages for the first time. But probably even worse than all of this was um, as a country, we rely on water from rain that is stored in dams for our drinking water. Um, and because it didn't rain for many years, we could see our, the dams that provided water to our city slowly getting lower and lower and lower. Um, you know, the city fathers instituted pretty stringent water rationing, um, and this lack of water was always on our minds. You know, you can just see this wariness in the land and its people from this effort of having to always save every drop of water and worry about what would happen if if the rains didn't come again. And it was during this time that the psalm really spoke to me, um, because it just perfectly captured our essential need for more water, not only physically but also for mental and emotional well-being. Um, so, you know, with these words, I believe David expresses so perfectly his utmost desire and craving for God, both physically and, and, and spiritually. Um, and I just encourage you to also, you know, to consider, you know, how, how much are you craving God? Um, is, it as much, is it one of the most basic needs in, in your life? Um, so if in this first verse, we get a sense of David's longing for God, in the next seven verses, we, we see how this deep desire for God uh, results in a satisfaction from God. And looking at this section as a whole, if we closely study the different verb tenses, we see here that David speaks of past, present, and future satisfaction in his God. So, for example, in verse 2, he says, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary for holding your power and glory. And then later on in verse 7, he says, for you have been my help. So there are some examples of past satisfaction. He also indicates present satisfaction, which is remarkable given the situation that he's under. Um, because your steadfast love is better than life, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. And then he can also anticipate uh, future satisfaction in God. And we see this particularly in verses three, 3 through 5 where there are repeated uses of the word will. So, for example, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips So David's satisfaction with God allows him to say verse 3 with confidence So verse 3 says because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you Almost all of us will admit that our lives are valuable to us. We will try to maintain life at whatever the cost A significant portion of our our economy is devoted to fighting disease and discovering ways to prolong life. We will spend vast sums of money on research, drug discovery, on doctors and nurses, on hospitals to provide treatment, even if there's only a small chance of survival. Even our great enemy Satan will admit this. In Job 2.4 he says, skin for skin, a man will give all that he has for his own life. So life therefore is very important for us, but David's inspired words reveal that there's something even better than life, and that is the love of God, or the love that we receive from God. And Jesus echoes this idea uh, centuries later when he says to his disciples in Mark 8, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Part of the reason for the immense value of God's love for us is that unlike our earthly lives, it can never be taken away from us or lost. And Paul reflects this when he writes in Romans 8, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation, Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in his inspired wisdom David recognizes this promise that God's eternal love is more valuable in life and because of his confidence in this eternal life in this eternal love David is able to praise uh, his God despite the terrible situation that he is in. So we see this again in verses 3 and 4 where he follows on um, from the statement about steadfast love being better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. David's satisfaction in God's love provides him this important peace during turmoil and stress or the challenges that he was facing. Um, we can see that he probably was, you know, undergoing some kind of stress uh, when we read verse six, where he says, "Where when I remember you upon my bed and meditate you, meditate on you in the watches of the night." Um, so these verses, this verse implies uh, the, that he might be having um, a hard time sleeping. Watches, watches of the night. Um, Indicates, um, you know, a military guard watch, which is especially relevant given the circumstances that David is under. We could imagine his sol- his soldiers rotating guard duties during the night to protect him. Um, but often, like us, when we were under stress or, or times of difficulty and anxiety, um, David appears to be have difficulty sleeping. Um, it tells us how he is awake during these watches of the night. Um, And often for us, being awake during times of anxiety um, and stress only makes the situation worse, right? So not only do you have to face a difficult situation, but now you have to face it when you're exhausted and tired. But remarkably, David is able to redeem um, his times of sleeplessness by remembering the Lord. So instead of dwelling on his difficulties um, while he's unable to sleep, David spends this time meditating on his God, praising him, and thinking about his love, his goodness, and above all his protection. Um, and I think this is just a wonderful example for us to try and follow. Um, I noticed something that has been useful in my own life when I, I battle stress and, and difficulty sleeping. So during this time uh, when he's meditating on his God, um, one of the one of the things he thinks about is 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 help in times past. And the way he, he imagines this is this beautiful image of a mother bird uh, protecting her young in the shadow of of her wings. Um, And Jesus actually uses very similar imagery uh, later in in the gospels when, as he's approaching Jerusalem before Holy Week, uh, when he laments over Jerusalem and he says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Uh, So this is just a great foreshadowing of David imagining the love of he's imagining the love of God, but also we can see later the very similar of of the love of the son um, for his people and his protection for the people. Um, So so far we've explored how David longs for God and how he derives satisfaction from God. So um, we'll end now by, by seeing how he triumphs through God through these last few verses. So these express. His, his confidence in his eventual and future victory um, through God. Verse 9 begins by indicating the very uh, real danger. Here is then. It says, those who seek to destroy my life. But then it transitions very quickly um, to an indication that his enemies are going to be defeated. So we see this very strong evocative um, and destructive imagery where he says, they shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. There shall be the por- shall be a portion for jackals, so we get an anticipation of a battle to come of swords clashing, and then of the dead lying on the battlefield um, for, for, for um, predators or, 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 or um, vultures or jackals um, after they are defeated and as we all know, David was ultimately victorious on the field of battle against Absalom, and he was restored as the king of israel um, so Again, he is, he's confident in, in what will eventually come to happen. But even when he is you know, saying these words in anticipation of his victory, he doesn't forget why he will win. Um, we read in verse 11 that he promises that the king will rejoice in God and all who swear by him shall exalt. So, this is a great reminder for us to acknowledge, to remember to acknowledge the Lord when life is good, much as David did. Um, even in anticipation of of the victory that that he was expecting to come. All right, so in the Psalm, we can see how David is able to derive confidence in his God, despite the dangerous and the uncomfortable circumstances that he was in. He longed for God, he was satisfied in God, and he anticipated his eventual triumph through God. And like David too, like David, we too need to rest confidence in, in God's provision. I know that in my own life, I tend to become self, self-absorbed with my own problems um, and you know, so self-absorbed with my own problems and concerns that I fail to acknowledge the Lord and his constant provision um, and the ways that he has sustained and protected me in times past. Um, I'm often reminded of my attitude uh, from, from a scene uh, in the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So, I hope most of you are familiar with this movie. Um, If not, I encourage you to uh, uh, at least find this clip on on YouTube. It's there. Um, So, I'm thinking of there's this great scene when Arthur and his knights experience a vision from God and receive the quest for the Holy Grail. So, they're galloping along. um, You know, the coconuts are going. Um, Sorry, I don't have any coconuts, no African swallows. Um, But the clouds part, and God is revealed. So, he goes. Arthur, Arthur, king of the Britons. And of course, Arthur and his knights all cower in fear. And God says, don't grovel. One thing I can't stand is people groveling. And don't apologize. Every time I try to talk to someone, it's sorry this, forgive me that, and I'm not worthy. Of course, God has a stern British accent. All right. So while I would not agree with all of the theology conveyed here, and I want to be very clear about this, we certainly need to approach our God with reverence and fear, and it's also appropriate um, to constantly ask forgiveness for our sins. This is why we have a time of confession um, every week during our liturgy. Um, But I do sometimes feel that we spend so much time groveling and petitioning that I forget to live confidently in the blessings that the Lord has provided. So another example, certainly a more theologically appropriate reference is the second last verse of of the hymn, Jesus, I, my cross have taken, um, which if I planned ahead better, I would have actually picked to be one of the hymns that we sing today. But um, so the, the second last verse goes like this. So then know thy full salvation rise our sin and fear and care joy to find in every station something still to do or bear think what spirit dwells within thee think what father's smiles are thine think that Jesus died to win thee child of heaven canst thou repine so repine means to complain or express discontentment or to fret Um, So it's exactly the kind of attitude that we often have when things aren't going the way that we think they should be going. Um, We complain against um, our circumstances. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in our own concerns that we tend to forget all that Christ has done for us. And again, just to be clear here, I'm not saying that we shouldn't come before the Lord with our needs and our wants. The Psalms are full of petitions and there are certainly um, many promises in other places in the Bible about our God being a good and gracious Father who gives us everything that we need according to His great wisdom. But I would argue that if groveling is your only attitude before our Father, you're not taking full advantage of all that Christ has done for you and your elevated position as a co-heir of Christ. We need to be more like David, who, despite the very dangerous and uncomfortable circumstances he was in, was able to rest confidently in God's provision. So as as I've kind of indicated before, Psalm 63 is a beautiful foreshadowing of Christ's concern for our salvation and his achievement of this victory. I've already mentioned how Jesus wept, wept over Jerusalem desiring to gather Um, her children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Um, But perhaps even more compelling than that is when we think about uh, verse 1 again, um, which again is for me is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Um, And I like to contrast this verse with with Jesus' great promise in John 4.14 Um, where he provides a solution for this this thirst. So in John 4.14, he says, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So even more than David, we can rest confident not only in what God will do for us, but more importantly, what he has already done through us, through Jesus on the cross. So as we go away from here, I just encourage you um, to remember the psalm um, and the way that uh, David is able to anticipate confidence in God, but also future confidence in Jesus, our Savior, and all that he has done for us. Let us pray.